0: Welcome everybody to Parashat Devarim, Chodesh Tov, the name of this month is called Menachem Av, I'd like to wait for our hostess Joy to join us, are right? yeah. I'm we are learning today, Lelui Nishmato, Moshe Ben Sarah, Joy's husband who passed. She has a beautiful custom. If you're wondering why I'm in an unusual setting, it's because I cannot ever say no to Joy. She wanted the learning to be in her house. She believes in Chanukat HaBayit, which means Lechanechet HaBayit, which means to educate the walls of your house because the walls have ears, and kedushah does permeate and become absorbed in our homes. That's the true meaning of Chanukat HaBayit, I know you might be familiar of it with it as being when you have a new house to have Torah learning, but the idea behind it is we're educating the house as well because the home is the place where we're going to bring people together and we're not just educating the home, but we're going to end up receiving all of the Kedushah that comes into the house. As long as it is a home that is worthy, and so Joy, thank you for allowing us to share Torah today in your house. Um, we're entering and embarking on a new sefer. There's so many things I don't know where to start. We're starting in sefer Devarim. <clears throat> it's called Mishne Torah. It's not just secondary to the Torah, it's a second Torah, or even better, it is Mishneh Torah, it is one, even though it has the word two, you might think it's two Torahs, (coughs) but it's, did I lose everybody? No. You might think it's two Torahs, but the beauty of Sefer Devarim is that it is part and parcel of the entire mosaic composition. What do I mean by that? We know there are five books of Moses. The first four are actually dictated by God and written by Moshe. Our book today, Sefer Parim, is authored by Moshe himself. He's the one who chooses the words and chooses the forms of expression to get these ideas across. And what's so beautiful about that is we might think the four books, oh, those are written by God. Those belong in their own genre. There's an author for the four books. And then the fifth book might be considered a different book. So it has a different author on the bottom. But yet yeah, it's part and parcel one Torah which tells us something even more beautiful, that Hashem considers his words and man's words to be not only of equal value, but acharon, acharon chaviv. That which comes last is the most endearing to God. And so God's gonna take the sefer, the book that Moshe himself is authoring, attach it to his own four books, and put it at the pinnacle of the entire composition. Now, why is this so exciting? It's because you're learning Torah, you might otherwise think that Torah is the word of God and the word of God is the only thing that counts. And God is saying, what are you talking about? I only gave you those other four books so that you could find your form of expression so that you can find a way to speak my language. For four books, I've been speaking your language. For four books, Moshe, I've been allowing you to write that I have a mouth, that I have nostrils, that I have a strong arm. For four books, I've been humanizing myself, says God. So in the fifth book, you could become divine. I am speaking in your language. I am bringing my energies down to your world. So in the fifth book, so in the book that we all author, in the book that we're going to write, there will be a component of our expressing our divine component, our divine selves to God. So this book is not just, and by the way, it's called Mishneh Torah on the simplest level because really not much new stuff happens here. The whole book is comprised of about a month, maybe. There's a little bit of a debate. Maybe it's 36 days. Maybe it's 45 days, depending on what and where. If you want to know where the 36 comes in this week's Shah, it's going to say it's the 11th month of the last year, and we know that Moshe dies on the 6th of Sivan, so then we say maybe it was the month plus six more. doesn't make a difference. For our purposes today... God's sending a way more universal message. He's saying, don't underestimate for 10 seconds what you have to say. And why is it even so much more beautiful? We need to mute. I'm, I am apologize. I'm only going to take questions at the end of the class because I'm not going to know how to get us back to a workable situation. So I apologize for today if we can't have the interaction but hopefully we'll leave the last few minutes open for comments what's so exciting about the book of Devarim on top of everything else is when God creates his world in the beginning of Bereshit the mosaic starts with the word Vayomer Vayomer, Vayomer and God said, and God said, and God said and at the end in the last book what is moshe gonna do he's gonna vaiidaber. i'll just tell you quickly most of you know the difference between Vayomed and vaidabed, but i'll tell it to you anyway vayomet is a language that's used <coughs> to create Lashon biria, it's language that god would say remember last week we said Abra when i speak i create You should have told me, Amra kedabra. You should have questioned me on that. You know what it really means? When God says, there should be light, and then suddenly, voila, there's light. What is he telling us in his four books? He's saying that my way of speaking could create a world. But he's telling us something greater. He's saying, since you also have that ability to create as you speak, when you speak, this is why Devarim. I'm jumping out of my skin of excitement of how magnificent just the name of the book is. Well, you know what God is saying? When I spoke and I created the world, it was a monologue. It was a one-way speech. I spoke, I spoke, I spoke, and I spoke. I didn't have dialogue. Until after the flood, I realized, says God, that I needed to have a form of expression that would be two-way, <clears throat> that, would be, that there would be a give and take. So, Moshe, you know what, you, what I'm going to give you? Oh, you know what you earned? Your entire career. This is, by the way, his last breath. People call Sefer Devarim Moshe's swan song. It's really, really coming in for a landing at this point. And if Moshe is coming in for a landing at this point, and he's giving his swan song, he earned and he merited what every one of us tries to achieve, which is what to reach a level of divarim, of dibur. What is dibur? What is dialogue? Why is dialogue on a much higher level than monologue? Monologue, you tell me, if I asked you, You'd say, monologue, that's where it's at. You say something and there's light. You say something and there's oceans and there's creatures and there's all kinds of things manifesting themselves in the physical world just with amirah. And you know what God says? That can't sustain itself. We need to have, in order for the world to sustain itself, we need dibur. We need devadim. What's debarim? Moshe is going to teach us that. He's been gleaning the art of dibur, his entire career. He starts his career, we all know this. What did he tell God? I can't speak ish devarim, I'm not a man of devarim. And then of course, hello, he writes a book and what's it called? He calls it devarim. Do you know why? Do you know why it's so perfect that he calls his sefer devarim, or that's what it's called? Because it's here to tell us that the capabilities that we have that the very weaknesses that we think are deficiencies in our lives really hold the seeds this strength. to our greatest strengths, to our greatest abilities, to our greatest potentials very often come encased as deficiencies. But what's so great about Devarim? Why is that what we're going to end? The grand finale of the Mosaic is not going to be Sefer Amirah. It's going to be Sefer Devarim, not the book of monologues, the book where God created stuff and the world came to be. We're going to end it. The final finale is going to be Devarim, which means what? Dialogue. Dialogue. And what is Moshe saying? Dialogue required. What does monologue require? If I'm going to speak out of a microphone... I'm going to make an announcement, announcing, I don't see you, I don't care about, I'm going to say what I have to say, and it's final, and it's immutable. That's it. But if I want to have a dialogue with you, what has to happen? There's 42 steps, but to make it simple, I need to get into your heart, your mind, your brain, I need to size you up. I need to understand you, I need to know, do you speak English, French, or Mandarin? I need to know where you come from, what's your level of vocabulary, what, I need to connect to you on 20,000, my brain, we don't realize that this is happening, but the brain is firing a million things, you're speaking to a child, bing, 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 you're gonna choose, you're gonna crouch down, you're gonna come to their level, you're gonna use soft words, You're speaking to an elderly person. You're speaking to a peer. You're speaking to the rabbi. You're speaking to the president. There's so many things that have to happen before I formulate, before the words come out of my mouth. My brain is on overdrive, or should be. Because when we say things and we don't think, that's when we say the wrong things, and that's where we fall into a problem. So what is Moshe telling us? I'm going to write a book and I'm going to title it. Amazon's going to be a bestseller. You have to think of what the title is. Because if they, you can't get past the title, nobody's buying your book. The, the cover is the whole thing. Yes, they do. People do judge books, myself included. Chattati, buy their cover. If I don't like the cover, I'm out. If you're looking on Netflix, you don't like that first shot, I'm out. I'm out. I'm, out. I'm, out. I'm not interested. So he's going to call it Devarim. How's he grabbing us with that? He's saying, guess what? More important than the ability to create physical worlds is the ability to connect and have a dialogue, not only on a human level, and this is where it gets so exciting, who is Moshe? He's the poster boy for having dialogue with who? Hashem. With Hashem. So he's also saying, This is not, this sefer is not just about speaking man to man. This dialogue is to encourage every one of you to be where I've been, to say what I've said, to hear what I've heard. I'm going to share it with you. And what's so beautiful, again, if I was going to write a review on sefer devarim, the most important part of it is that Moshe is saying... I'm going to speak to you on your level, in your language, because I want to encourage you, too, to follow suit. And that's what Sefer Devarim, that's just a tiny little one-minute planned introduction prologue for Sefer Devarim. So now we should sit up a little straight and say, oh, wait. I'm opening a how to make human connections, how to make a divine connection. It's been done before, and it's so important to God that he's making it his grand finale of his mosaic. That's that's where we start. Now we can maybe even open. I apologize that you don't have books. Some of you do, which is great, but some of you who don't, I will do my best to depict uh, what we want to have here. So besides entering a new Sefer and celebrating today the month of Av. Many of you have heard the term Menachem Av. The word Menachem or Lenachem, to comfort, is very often associated because this is the month where we lose not one temple, but both temples. It's the time of the year on the 9th of Av for a future day. Today is Rosh Chodesh, so we're gonna try and keep it mostly festive, but we should be aware that we are heralding in, starting today, nine days. And these nine days are nine days of mourning because they're leading up to not only the destruction of our temple, but we believe there was a severing, a break in the relationship between us and God. And since it's Rosh Chodesh, I always want to talk about this, but they tell me keep it said, so I can't do it. So now I'm going to do it here. Since it's Rosh Chodesh, so I'm allowed. Yeah, <laughs> what do you say? I you love the happy. Yeah, you love the happy. I, I'm very, if anybody's ever taking a vote, I'm pro living your life and trying to bring in as much happiness as possible. So Rosh Chodesh, it's halachically allowed, even though we're within the nine days, Rosh Chodesh allows us to celebrate. And in that train of thought, I want to redefine what menachem av really means. Menachem av, I said originally, sounds like it's the month of consolation. Like if you're going to go be a menachem you're going to comfort a person who's in mourning. That word menachem and nechama is associated with tragedy, with sadness and with mourning. Today I'd like to define menachem av as you're walking the streets and people tell you chodesh tov or not. And they say chodesh tov or chodesh menachem av tov. You know what menachem av can mean and should mean? And I'm going to insist on it today. Menachem, comforting av. Our Father in heaven is here to comfort us. These nine days are nine days that God is here to bring us comfort. He's going to take us, and you'll pardon the pun, I named it for our hostess, He's going to take us from pain to joy. Mm -hmm. He's going to take us from a place of sorrow, from a place of mourning, to a place of jubilation. The month does that for us, because after these nine days and the fast on the ninth, the 15th day of Av and Erev Yom Kippur, Mm -hmm. those two nights, they they consider the happiest days in the Gemara, those are the happiest days of the year why the 15th of av we'll talk about at another time but it's a very festive time it's a time that the tribes reunited and a lot of beracha came back into the world and of course the night of kippur that's the night that we are most pure and that's why we celebrate whatever cloud we've had lifted if we believe and we do In the Yom Kippur process and we believe that God really created a system where we can rid ourselves of our past and get a new barcode and be new people have new identities all that other stuff that was bogging us down is doesn't identify with me you could try looking me up you won't find me with that code I have a brand new identity literally then what's gonna happen? It's gonna be my happiest day of the year. So going now into the month of Av, we're gonna get this sense of huge and great opportunity. And that's really what I wanna talk about today. Today, specifically on the Dosh Chodesh, Auntie Florida, Rochelle Rudy is great. She sends, if you don't know Rochelle Rudy, then you're missing out. She sends every Hebrew calendar day that has any kind of importance attached to it. She sent me this. Today is the yard site of Aharon Hakohen. Wow. And today being the yard site, oh thank you. Amen. I didn't realize I needed it, but I do. I don't want to drop or break anything. I'll break anything. I'm still here. Okay. The um, excuse my profile uh, another story. <laughs> anyway, today being the Yort site of Aharon HaKohen, because I told you it's Rosh Chodesh, and Rosh Chodesh, we have an obligation to find simcha, to find happiness. So we should all know this. On the Yort site of a loved one, on the yortzite oh, of a great, respected person, the world muted oh no. shoot unmuted yourself okay let me see how i could unmute i can thank you you hear me now i think yes you hear me right shake your heads because i don't see everybody yes thank you so i had started to say i'll repeat on the your side of a loved one or on the your side of a great person the world is filled with the light that they created when they were alive the yortside if you ever wonder my mother I never understood why she always lights a candle she lights a candle for this one for that one this one's at the alicia's yortside this one's to her father's yortside I, I never really understood what the symbolism was of why we light a candle i know they say the candle is the soul and all this and all that but i didn't realize that on another level it's symbolic it's a reminder, it's a physical manifestation of the light that they brought to the world when they were here. And so on their site, we're gonna light a physical light to symbolize the spiritual light that they gave to our world. And so now I finally have, (laughs) I know there's always a reason, I don't always understand that you too, right? Okay, good. So, today we want to bask in and be aware of the light of Aharon HaKohen. And what is his light? I think we're going to save it for our ending and we'll, we'll close with him. So, we have two things that take place. Um, we have to go to Al Perasha because Divariyom Beyomos. So, I want to tell you two things that take place in Al Perasha. The first one being that in verse five, for those of you with Chumashim, bravo. For those of you without, you're not going to feel big because I'm going to read you the pasuk. It's in verse five, Sefer Tevarim, the first chapter. At this point, Moshe is going through all the coordinates of where he is, where they've been, what their travels were. And then he says this. uh, To me, it was very unusual. I'll read you the verse. He says, So on the other side of the Jordan, we haven't yet crossed. By the way, this whole thing, these last four books, we're literally at the cusp. Now our toes are one inch away from the Jordan River. That's where we're standing right now. So on the other side of the... Yarden. In the land of Moab, Moshe begins explaining the Torah, and he says, verse six, Hashem Elohenu Diber Elenu Bechorev. What does he say? Now this is Moshe, I told you this is his book. He's authoring this book. And he's on the other side of the Jordan River. And he's literally at the edge at the cusp and what is he saying he's going to now reiterate it's really more like a cliff notes but he's gonna go through memory go down memory lane but in going down memory lane he says something that opens up a whole world for us he describes our encounter with God Where was our biggest, greatest encounter with God? Matantora Har Sinai. I love every one of you. I'm sure you guys knew it over there in Zoom also. But you know what he calls that place and that experience? He calls it Hashem Elohenu Dibed Elenu Bechorev. Another name for Har Sinai is Had Horev. I don't know about you, but if I was gonna make a brochure for a vacation, what would you call the mountain that we're going to? Would you call it the mountain of Sinai? Would you call it Had Elohim? Because it's another name for it. There's a lot of nice names. Some people call it Mount Musa, right? The Arabs yes. call it the yes. mountain of Musa, Musa's Moshe. Come to Mount Musa, it sounds fantastic. Would anybody call it Har chorev? Would anybody call it... You're still all there, right? Would anybody call it Har chorev? The I'll just tell you what it means in English. Yeah, so Thank bad. you. I should have said that first. <laughs> so the amazing. mountain of the sword. Oh, yeah. A cherev. What? A sword. A sword. A sword. Uh-huh. So you have two brochures. You want to go to the mountain of the sword or do you want to go to the mountain of God? The mountain of Musa. The mountain of Sinai. What is Moshe calling that mountain? Had Chorev. We have to say, why did he choose? Every word, by the way, is weighed and chosen with tremendous thought. This is not just a, you know, one, two, three, rough draft. This is every single word is written with the greatest of prophecy. And so you know what Moshe is telling us? He's saying when you or we, I'll do the we. When we were at Sinai, you know why we missed the boat? You know why God tried to manifest himself and uh, um, introduce himself and, and, and bring himself into our world? You remember what happened at Sinai? Mm-hmm. He, came, he came to the party, but we did not. We recoiled. We stepped back. We said, Moshe, please. You go get the message and bring it to us. If we hear God's word directly, that's going to be the end of us. The mountain became called Har Chorev because we thought that that mountain was going to be the death of us. We said the words, Penamut. I'm not making this up, I'm not exaggerating. We said, no, we said they were not allowed to touch they it. They were yet. only allowed to touch it when the yovel horn was blown, which never happened because they recoiled and because they got scared. They saw the lightning, they saw the thunder, and they misinterpreted those expressions of God as being something that would do what? That would harm them, that would kill them, that was like a sword. As a matter of fact, the Gemara records how. When God came, this you'll remember, when God came to give us the Torah, he held the har Kigitit, he lifted Mount Sinai up. The people were on the bottom. And he said, this is just an allegory, and he said, or you accept my Torah, or this is the place you'll be buried and if you don't accept the Torah, this mountain's gonna fall on you and this is gonna be a burial place. Now that, of course, didn't really happen, but the commentaries come and give us such a story so that we could understand that we felt threatened. We saw greatness and we interpreted it and we went to a place, instead of awe, we went to a place of fear. And that's why that story is there. And so what is Moshe saying? He says, you know what? Hashem came. And he came to speak to us. You know the Dibrot? Hashem tried to have dialogue with us. He tried to connect with us on our level. He didn't do his Amirah that we started our class with, the monologue where he speaks and things command. No, he came in Dibrot. But that place, I'm going to call it Chorev. Now that's one way to understand this but there's another way and that's what we want to do here today we don't want to ever have to come and approach religion from fear or guilt or any of these other things you know what moshe is saying when he says yeah on the one let's be practical (laughs) history is right in here so there's no denying that we didn't accept god and his revealing himself to us, his grand revelation, right? The greatest show on earth. And what did we do? We turned our backs and said, no, thank you. So, you know what God is, the Moshe is going to use this word, chorev? Here's a little trivia. You guys know for sure. He wants us to go back to the first place that this cherev, this word for sword, was used. You know where the first sword appears in Torah? You'll have to go all the way back yeah. to Bereshit. You yeah, you have. Whoa, go back, 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 back. I Almost uh, not yet. Hedah? No, You'd think no. that there was a cheder yeah. with the akeda. Right. Yeah. Did you know? I'll take you. It's Bereshit. God hated. We oh, yes. get Ga- that's Gail oh, Peltzer, oh, yeah. I know that voice yeah. anywhere. So yes, yes, Gail, you are correct. I'm gonna keep you muted only because there's a crazy uh, echo sound that happens. I'm on a phone. But yes, Gail, you get you got it. Chapter 3, verse 24. In Gan Eden, after Adam and Eve were banished, what does God do? He has, I'll read, I'll read the verse for you. et he chases out Adam and he puts him on the east of Eden. It's a good title for a book, no? Puts him on the east of Eden and he puts the Kiruvim. Remember those cherubs? Now let's start putting pieces together for a minute. Where else do we have Kiruvim? In, the end In Kodesh HaKodashim, on top of the holy ark, yes. there were cherubs, Kiruvim. And these cherubs, we're going to talk about them in a minute. These cherubs are sitting atop the holy ark. What's inside the holy ark? Both sets of Biluchot. of the Luchot. That gift that God wanted to give us in Chorev, remember? That Moshe was calling the place sword? Why was it called Chorev? Because you know why? Because when God sent out Adam and Chava from Gan Eden, he Put the Keruvim and then he put Lahat Hamit He put, and you may have seen Disney has this ever turning sword kind of thing. If you ever yes. see that, that sword, whatever, look it up. There's this ever turning sword, and what is the purpose of the sword? The purpose of the sword is Lishmor et Derech et It's going to guard the pathway to the tree of life let's just take this slowly Adam is banished to the east and so that he doesn't come back he already ate from the fruit tree so that's done with what other tree does God want to make sure he doesn't eat from the tree of life so what does he put there he puts a flaming sword to guard the way so that you can't get through that sword and you can't take I can't trust you anymore, because if I would have had a sword at the fruit tree, we would have been okay, we wouldn't have had this story. But now I need to put this sword, this cherev. And you know what Moshe is telling the people here? When you were at the base of the Sinai mountain, when you were about to receive the Torah, of course there was a cherev there. Of course there was a sword there but the sword was only there because God's intent was to remove it so that you could have access to etz chayim. Yeah. The Torah is the same as etz chayim. And in Gan Eden for another day there were two trees. One was the fruit tree that they weren't allowed to eat from, the tree of knowledge we'll call it, and the other one was the tree of life, two trees. You may hear commentaries that they say they were one and the same, but for the peshat, we're going to keep them as two. So why am I talking to you about this? Because as we go through experiences, very often the same thing, the same image, the same symbol, the same sword that we think is going to do wah, is going to kill us, is really a pathway to our best lived life, to our etz to our uh, greatest self. So that was one word that I wanted to bring, but it's going to be compounded now with the second word that's in this week's perashanya. I'll say this before I even tell you the word. I don't know if you guys noticed. Um, I <laughs> WhatsApp back and forth with Jessica to see if this class, what's the title of the class, bless you. And I, the last few weeks, I have to tell her, is it matot, is it matot and mas'eh, is it va'yakil, is it va'yakil and In case anybody's been as confused as I've been, the reason is that the last day of Pesach for us, this year, was a Saturday. And so we had to read from the Torah, the Pesach portion. But in Israel, what did they do? They already went to the next week. They went to the next perasha. So if anybody's ever having a bar mitzvah in Israel yeah. during yeah. these months, you must. I know it's happened. You must find out which parasha to study. See her brother studied the wrong one? It could happen because you look at the Betorah calendar and it tells you what parasha we are here. And it's not necessarily shh, shh, it's not necessarily the one that's over there. Why am I saying all of this? My bigger question was, so how do we finally catch up? Why don't we bunch together the following week? We only have one week of error, and it's the Omer who's making a bummitzvah in Israel anyway. Okay, maybe yes, maybe no, and then we're smooth landing after, smooth sailing after that. But no. What the plan is and genius of the rabbis, and I see it now and I understand it reading the parashah, is that their plan is always to make sure we're all caught up by parashat devarim. Everybody in the entire world is going to read this Shabbat, parashat devarim. doesn't matter if we were off kilter this week, and on top of it, just so you know and you'll read it on your own, the haftarah for parashat devarim is always chazon yeshayahu. It's the vision of Isaiah. We'll talk about that a little bit as well. What did he see and what was the significance of it? So getting into this, now if we're going to read Devarim, and it was designed to be read this week before Tish Abe'Av, everybody everywhere is reading this, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we encounter this word that we would not have thought to find in our... Where is it? Let me just go on here. In verse 12, when Moshe... So we were in verse uh, 6 when we read about Chorev, Six verses later, when he's talking about and reminiscing about the people, he starts out by saying, you know what? You're so many, you're so plentiful, like the stars in the sky. And he says these words, I can't possibly carry you on my own you're, you're way too cumbersome way too heavy in every sense for me to carry so Moshe is telling us here in his Sefer I'm not really I don't know that I want to read the rest of his book because he's saying that what Sorry. we went to the mountain we thought it was a sword and then he himself thought we were such a heavy burden and so he asked God I can't handle these people myself I need to appoint judges and then he uses this term. So, for those of you with Chumashim, it's verse 12, he says this word. Hopefully, you'll make the connection. He says, Echa Esa Levadi. He uses the word Echa. For those of you who are familiar with this, on the 9th of Av, we read a book, and the name of the book, Lamentations, is called Echa. Three people say the word echa, Moshe, and in saying his echa, he's saying, echa esa levadi. How could I possibly uh, carry your contentiousness, your burdens, your quarrels? You know what Moshe's biggest complaint is? He's complaining that the people are constantly in a state of bickering. The other two echas we should know. The next one is in our haftarah. So now it's starting to make sense. Why the Torah has to have echa and the haftarah has to have echa. What does the word echa mean? The word ech means how. Why? How is it possible? Echa. How could it be? How could it be? And of course, how could it be in the haftarah of this week is the term echa. Haita lezona. what does that mean the prophet yeshayahu jeremiah is asking how is it possible that a once very faithful people has now become like a harlot how is that possible but the third one is going to really bring the dagger in completely and that those are the words of yirmiyahu in his book Echa. And he asks, the book is called Eicha, because the first three words are Eicha, Yashva, Badad. How is it possible that this illustrious, magnificent city that was once teeming with people is now desolate and empty? And the Eichas answer each other. They have a conversation with each other. The three generations are speaking to each other, one to the other. But they're not just speaking amongst themselves, meaning the Echa of Yirmiyahu that asks, How did the city end up desolate? is going to be answered by the Echa of Yirmiyahu who's going to say, Well, the people were unfaithful. And it's going to be compounded with the Echa of Moshe who's going to say, Not only were they unfaithful to their God, but they were what? Amongst themselves. Fighting amongst themselves, bickering. And those three echas really have on top of them the original, the initial echa, the echa that first appears. Where we're back at the scene of the crime, we're back into the Garden of Eden, we're back at the same story. Very easy. All I need is one thing, and I'm back and forth. Why? Because it's going to tell us if the Adam and Chava ate from the tree, what does God ask them? What does he ask Adam? He goes to hide, and he says the word. (laughs) Ayecha. Echa. Ayecha and Echa the same exact letters. Where are you? Now, does God really need to ask Adam where he is, like when the kid is hiding half out of the curtain, and of course you know that they're there, but you want to engage them and draw them out and give them attention and all of the things that go with that. So what is he saying? God is saying from the very beginning... Human nature is to want to cover up. We want to hide sometimes from our own selves. Who is Adam hiding from? There's two people on the planet, and him <laughs> and his wife, the two people, there's nobody to seek. They're just two hiders. Who's going to seek them? Nobody. But that's what we do. We try to cover things up. I always say that's why it's called Yom Kippurim, because we do what? The Kaped doesn't just mean to atone, it means to what? To cover up, like a cup it. we, we It's our tendency to want to cover ourselves up. And now what is God saying? He says, oh, you're going to cover yourself up? You know where I'm going to send you? What's the total opposite of covering yourself up? Yeah. Galut. Le galut, yeah. To reveal yourself. You know why we're in galut? Do you really know why we're in galut? because that's the place where we could reveal ourselves. And I'm not sure what that means, so we're gonna have to flesh it out a little bit. So I'm glad, I like when I see a little bit uh, um, you know, confused and maybe trying to make it make sense, but it doesn't. Don't worry, we're gonna get to the, we're gonna bring it together. We have three weeks of sadness, Ben Ametzarim. I don't have to tell you, it's Rosh no Chodesh. I'm not gonna waste too much time on the three weeks part. But they're not the happiest weeks. We don't have parties. We don't do all the festive things that we normally would do. And then they're followed by seven weeks. And the seven weeks, the haftarah that's read, all of those seven weeks are haftarot, not that have to do with the Torah, that have to do with comfort and consolation. Mm-hmm. Sheva nechamta. They're the seven of Nechama, the seven weeks of consolation. And it's very beautiful that the, I wanna say it's the Kabbalist, but I'm not sure. It could be the Hasidic movement, which is, also has that same flavor to them. They do a beautiful thing with the three and the seven. And they say that the three weeks of rebuke, those are three weeks where we feel that God is withdrawing from us we feel that god is a a distant from us that he is abandoning us that we are alienated from him there's a very strong detachment that we feel during the three weeks of mourning and those three weeks are going to be followed by seven weeks of god doing what? literally giving us like a spiritual hug, this idea of comforting, and and if you read the words if, if you have the time, and you read the Haftarah for the seven weeks between Tisha BeAv, and the holidays, you'll you'll feel if you're ever down, open those. It's all promises and all expressions of God's <coughs> love for us, and it's all expressions of God wooing us back into the relationship. It's a very beautiful time. So if the three weeks are a time of detachment, then the seven weeks are a time of attachment, of coming together. And one very beautiful image that is depicted is that, remember those Kiruvim that we discussed, those cherubs? It's been recorded that when the temple was plundered, and the Romans or the Babylonians came and took our kalim, our vessels, they took our Aron HaKodesh, they took our holy ark. But a most unusual thing was seen that the cherubs, and what do we mean when the cherubs were facing each other, what, what, what did it represent? Peace. That Hashem is in love with us and He's at peace with us. And when the cherubs weren't facing each other, want to talk about that stuff keeping it g-rated and happy so when they they when they plundered and took the holy ark this crazy phenomena took place it's the greatest paradox at a time where we felt that God was most distant and detached and fed up with us literally crashing our marital uh, domain the place where we would come and commune with him what direction were the cherubs facing? Each other? I said it was a paradox, so good for you. Yes. yes, Good for you. They were facing each other, which makes no sense. You'd think that the temple was destroyed because God's angry at us. He wants nothing to do with us. He's not facing us. But in our moment of greatest detachment, the cherubs are doing this. They're facing each other. And we have to ask, what was the symbol of this Union of this in intimacy and one of the beautiful ideas that come about is that the um, Idea of the human makeup the way we are constructed the way we are uh, designed Is three and seven. What does that mean? I'll use that as a of bridge. Give us a second. What is the 10? The 10 is broken up into 3 and 7. What am I talking about, 3 and 7? They say that we, every person, has 10 attributes in their soul. Three of them are in the mind, and seven of them are in the heart. The three of them, the three parts of our intellectual faculties, somebody mentioned to me, where is she somebody mentioned to me Chabad today Chabad maybe it's a good little acronym you know what it stands for Chochmah Bina and Da'at three faculties chokhmah, which is a type of wisdom Bina which is a type of understanding Da'at is another type of knowledge or we could get into that another day I'm going to use three English words for the three faculties of the mind conceptualization comprehension application that means that the mind goes through a process when it wants to understand something it has to first conceptualize it then it could comprehension it could comprehend it and then it could apply it now if those three have to do with the first three weeks the first three weeks are a time of detachment the first three weeks are a time where God is distant from us, is aloof from us. It's telling us that the way the mind operates, think of a scientist. If he wants to come up to a conclusion or have a theory, what does he have to do when he's studying his subject? He has to he has to detach it completely from everything else. He even has to detach it from his own opinions and his own emotions i could only truly understand something if i see it in its in its own organic unattached state hold that thought for a minute because the three weeks that god's going to detach himself from us are going to end up paralleling this idea that the mind in order to really understand something, has to become detached from it, hold everything. The other seven, which are our seven months of comforting, and I'll say this, the mind is often thought of, if we're going to compare and contract, as a cold place. Because if you're only going to make decisions with your mind, and you're not going to let your heart weigh in, they're going to call you very, you may may hear the term cold-hearted, but it's really cold minded because your mind is not allowing itself to be warmed from the emotional part of the heart. So hold these three guys for a minute. The seven um, faculties or the seven other components of the heart i wrote them down so that i would remind them remind myself of them and now i suddenly don't see where i put them. oh yeah the seven emotional drives i'll just read them to you are love awe, harmony ambition devotion bonding and receptiveness i'll stick with receptiveness for a minute because the heart could only receive after it's gone through a series of processes Meaning, what does receive mean? Receive, to accept, internalize. It's, in Hebrew, what's the Hebrew word of to receive? Kabbalah. What is Kabbalah, anyway, at its core? I'm not teaching Kabbalah or anything, I'm just saying. Kabbalah means to be able to receive. To what degree can we receive? And we're receiving, receiving here is an effort of the heart. Now you're going to say, wait, I would think receiving maybe should be an effort of the mind. I'm not sure. So let's talk about this. The heart, the way it functions, the way it rolls, the way it operates, is it has to be involved. It has to be attached. The heart is super subjective. If we said the mind is objective, right we want to isolate something so that we could see it on its own not in context with anything else that's how the mind sees things but the heart is it's, it's about how I relate to that thing that very same thing that might be useless to you I would pay a million dollars for because it once belonged to my grandmother because she carried it from Syria and you're gonna look at this and say I wouldn't pay ten cents in a flea market for it so the heart is very subjective and puts values on things based on its own emotional, beautiful. And the one thing that the Torah is telling us is that if the heart, and this is literally and pun intended, the heart of the matter, if the heart is allowed to operate without the mind, we're gonna be impulsive people how many people you know the term buyer's remorse you buy something on an impulse and then you think about it and say do i really need this do i really want this is it really worth it does it really make spark joy whatever you want to say about it right so what happens if the choices of the heart follow me are going to have endurance and stability they must be informed by the mind. Now, let's go back to this Galut story. Why is God distancing himself from us? Why for three weeks is he aloof from us? Why is he detached from us? Because the purpose of his detachment, you ever have a couple who's not sure 100% and then somebody tells them, Why don't you go on a break? And I always say the same thing. How are you going to know if you love somebody if you're on a break from them? Don't you want to spend more time with them? I never understood it until here today. I actually might change my opinion. Why? Because I think what the Torah is teaching us is that in order to have a relationship, what's all, what are we talking about, only? This whole thing is having a relationship, man and God, man and man. If we want to have a relationship, let's use it with God, because that's what we're doing in these 10 weeks. If we want to have a relationship with God, you know what God is saying? First, we need to be separate. First, you can't come, how many people make decisions just from their passions and their emotions, but those decisions aren't sustainable or long-lasting God is saying I'm giving you three weeks and during these three weeks I want you to come to a state of mind where you could learn about me where you could understand me and where you could understand that my separation from you is for your own good because when we finally unite and you'll have seven weeks to build an emotional attachment that emotional attachment will already have the intellectual component built into it and so if we want to see this as a paradox then we're going to go to one last piece and say that this this hiding of god's eyes is really why It's really an act of love. Same way that the Keduvim were facing each other when they were on top of the ark. Because God was saying, even while the temple was being smashed, even while the home that he built with us was being completely decimated, you know what he was saying? He was saying, I'm with you you still have an opportunity the physical part of our relation is what? our relationship is gone but the emotional and the intellectual piece those two pieces the mind and the heart you still have that you may have lost the physical temple but your body your temple your heart and your mind is what's going to repair the relationship and ultimately bring the Third Temple into being. And if we want to really understand what that means, then we'll start today. And we'll say today, on the site of Aharon HaKohen, why does the month of destruction start with the Yurtzeit, and, and what, what am I saying? God chose this day, today, thousands of years ago today, with whatever is existent in the physical world, He chose this day to have the energy of Aharon HaKohan's passing because he knew that we were going to need to bring his light into this world on the first day of Av every year. And what light is that? If he had a bumper sticker on his car, Aharon's car would say, right there, on the back dashboard or whatever you call that, on the bumper, it would say, Oh, have shalom, shalom. verodef shalom. That's what I want on my tombstone, says Aharon. Oh on the oh day it's on her father's tombstone Me too. and my on us too. Why? Oh, have shalom, shalom. verodef shalom means not only a person who loves peace, but who chases peace. And what does it mean to chase peace? It means that we're not going to allow the little bickerings and the quarrelness quarrelsomeness, I don't know if that's a word I made it up, maybe we're not going to allow for that to rule the day. When Moshe says, Echa Aharon is going to come into the world and say, you know how we're going to undo the Echa? We're going to stop bickering by spreading joy. What does my father always say? You have somebody who's driving you crazy kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. You can't, they can't answer you back after that. That's Aharon. He's not just, oh, have shalom. He's going to run after it. He's going to chase after it. He's going to be proactively bringing shalom. What is shalom going to do? It's going to complete not just the relationship. Look, when I'm upset at you, you may have done something horrible. I'm not pointing to you. I love Moselle. If somebody does something horrible to me, what happens to me? I'm a total You're innocent affected. person. You're affected. Sure. I'm affected and I'm not in shalom. I forget that I'm not in shalom with you. I'm not in shalom with myself. And until I'm able to repair the shalom within myself, imagine I'm a cracked vessel and I'm trying to receive. What's gonna happen with my Kabbalah? What's gonna happen with my reception? Everything I receive is gonna go through the cracks. I need to make myself shalom. We all need to make ourselves, our own selves shalom. Beautiful. Shalom means whole, means whole. And not only that, you know what shalom also means? Shalom is shalom, pay. Shalom means pay. It's like shalom, buy it. You want shalom? Buy it. Pay means what? There's no price, there is. You never heard that? That's what the no, oldest joke. No, 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 no. <laughs> you, you, you want Shalom Bayit? You want Shalom Bayit? I thought it was like the corniest oldest joke. But anyway, what is Shalom? What is Aharon here telling us? He's saying this is the time of year. Hashem is what with us? He's facing us. He's in a place of Shalom with us. He's telling us it's the three weeks that you think I'm far. I'm only far from you so that you could build a stronger foundation for our relationship. And not only our relationship, but also the relationship amongst all of you. If we start today and we honor the neshama of Aharon HaKohen, if you want to do a random act of kindness, today is the day to do it. Because the light is here if there's a person you haven't spoken with. If there's any kind of shalom in your life that has been compromised, today is the day to complete and rectify that. Because you're not alone. When you go to the endeavor of bringing peace, whether it's peace that you need to find your own inner peace or peace with somebody else, today is the day you're not doing it alone. Today is the day that you have of all people, the champion of Shalom, you have his energy in this world guiding you, guiding all of us. Let's make him proud, let's make ourselves whole, let's reunite our community, let's keep those once again facing each other, and let's make this Tisha Be'av. you know that on Tisha Be'av it's destined that Mashiach is gonna be born. They say the nine days from Rosh Chodesh, so the ninth of Av is 9 days. It symbolizes the 9 months of wow. pregnancy. Oh, wow, wow. And wow. if we are... zocheg, yeah, we trying to... Come yeah, meri- you know, meritus, you know, yeah. <laughs> meriting is a better word. If we merit, then on Abe Av Hashem will see to it that Mashiach will be born. Or at least conceived. I'm not sure which one, because I'm not so good in the Hebrew, but either way, We have the ability to bring the peace into our world. Hashem is not hiding from us. He's allowing us to really build a strong foundation so that all of the emotions of the heart will be be met with the faculties of the brain and the relationship will once again be restored for all of Am Yisrael in peace and health and happiness and will go from a place of pain to a place of joy
1: thank you very
0: well right, right? so that i can